Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. Do you know what God wants to do with you? What a way to start a sermon, huh? (laughs) Well, let me tell you what he wants to do with you. He wants to change you through and through. You believe that? You okay with that? On board with that? He wants to change you through and through. And when we come to God, sinners, with empty, broken lives, God forgives us. Are you thankful for that? forgives us. He cleans us up, begins the transformation process, changing us, making us to be more like Jesus. This is really very good news, right? God is the one who is faithful in seeing to it that the good work that he has begun to do in us is going to happen. Wow. He is the one doing the changing. He is the one doing the transforming. How liberating is that? Do you sometimes feel as though you aren't making progress spiritually? Was that like a dumb question? (laughs) Do you find yourself sometimes getting discouraged? Well... (laughs) It's imperative to remember that God won't give up on you, so please do not give up on yourself. He promises to finish the work that he has begun in you and me. When you feel incomplete or unfinished or distressed by your shortcomings or your failures, remember to be confident like Paul is confident in God's promises and in his provisions. We just need to go with the flow of what God is wanting to do in our lives. Rather than fight him, join up with him. So today we're going to take a close look at Ephesians chapter 2. As most of you are aware, we've started our study in Ephesians. This is our third message in Ephesians. We're in chapter 2, and we'll see how this passage teaches us how God is at work in our lives through our salvation, changing us through and through, remaking us into the image, as I said a moment ago, of his son. There are some amazing ways that God is at work in your life to help you change. And I think it is good to refresh and remind ourselves of these things. You see, because our minds have been so affected by sin, I think we have the tendency to forget the things that we should forget and we remember the things that we shouldn't remember. I think sometimes we forget the shape that we were in before coming to Christ. I think sometimes we forget what we have been saved from. I was given a great reminder of this last night. As Marilyn mentioned, we showed the Jesus Revolution film here, and there there was that scene when um, when Greg Laurie, you know, be, He's 
he's, he's seeking truth, and he's, it's the hippie era, and he's, he's hanging out with some folks in this house, and it was just the, the atmosphere, the culture was dark. And I'm not talking about lighting. <laughs> talking about spiritually, it was just dark, and the, you know, saying, and just, you know, being happy, and letting it all hang out, whatever, whatever, right? And, 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 and in that moment, as I was watching it again, I tell you what hit me. I was just saying, whereas I sat right over there where Shelby's sitting right now, and as I kind of began to get a little weepy-eyed, and I just once again thanked God for taking me and delivering me because I was in that kind of thing. And I am so thankful that God, because of His goodness and His grace, saved me and delivered me. <laughs> On our way home, Meryl and I, we just kind of reached our hands out to each other and it's like, that was our story. Marilyn, I got to tell you, you know, she never got where I was, but, but still it was kind of like our story in terms of through that time in that time period and even in that place in Costa Mesa where we got to know each other and God called us saved us and called us and, and here we are still going for him I was reminded once again of what God has saved me from and I think it's good at times while we are going to talk about leaving the past in the past I believe it is a good thing it is a healthy thing spiritually to never ever forget what God has taken you out of and what he has saved you and delivered you from in chapter 1, Paul talked about God's spiritual blessings for us, and then he prayed that we might be able to understand them. <laughs> That'd be good, right? Here's how he's blessed us richly, and it, we, we need to understand why and what those blessings all represent for us. And he, then he prays that we might be able to understand them. One of those blessings, of course, as we looked at that, were forgiveness of our sins along with redemption through Jesus Christ. And in chapter 2, Paul explains that the great truth, this great truth of what these blessings represent and what we are to understand, he explains them even more specifically. We were spiritually dead. This is part of what we got to remember. Separated, alienated from God because of our transgressions and sins. As we were starting worship this evening and Kenny was kind of commenting on what Marilyn asked about being kind of sleepy or whatever and th there was no response and I looked back and looked at you all <laughs> and it was kind of like hmm dead? You know what I'm saying, right? In a little bit here, I'm going to reference this whole thing of kind of like what it is to be a zombie. <laughs> you look alive. <laughs> eyes are open. <laughs> but nobody's home. We were spiritually dead, separated, alienated from God. Because of our transgressions and sins, as we're going to read here, 
So let's take a look at this passage so we can see and hear and be reminded of what God has done for us. And so first of all, verse 1 and 2 says, As for you, look, there it is. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And so these verses are letting us know that we must remember what life was like before Christ, right? We always called, we used to call this the B.C. days, before Christ. And what we are to remember is we were dead. We were lost, enslaved, condemned. It was total depravity. It was a spiritual death. Now, let me just also comment. Some of you may have been really, really bad, and others of you, not so much. You know what? Doesn't matter. You were just as dead as a person who was really looking like they were dead. <laughs> just as dead as far as God's is concerned, as far as Scripture is concerned, because we were alienated and separated from God before Christ. Are you with me? Though outwardly we looked alive, acted like we were having fun, actually inside, we were cut off from true life, going down a path leading to death because we were severed from God, who is the source of life. We were, as it were, buried in our own transgressions and sins, as Paul puts it. We were like a corpse buried by dirt. We were... We were buried in the ground spiritually, as it were. And just like a dead body laying six feet under, we were completely incapable of digging ourselves out from that grave situation. <laughs> I know, I, after I put that down, I go, oh. <laughs> I wasn't even trying to be funny or make a pun or anything like that. Death is separation, right? And it's separation in three different ways. Let me explain. First, it's physical death. When the spirit is separated from the body, and although the medical community debates endlessly about what this actually, you know, what actually does constitute death, the Bible makes it very clear. No gray area in God's word. Death occurs the moment the spirit departs our bodies. Second, there is spiritual death, which is what verse 1 here is talking about. You no doubt are aware of TV shows like The Walking Dead or movies about zombies. Maybe you've seen National Geographic specials on, on zombies in Haiti or, and other islands out there in the, in the Caribbean. Zombies are people who walk around in an almost corpse-like stupor due to several things, voodoo, Demons, maybe even it's drug-induced. In a spiritual sense, we were like zombies. You may not like that, but in a spiritual sense, it's exactly what we were like. Alive physically, but because we had no sensitivity to the Lord, 
We were dead spiritually. Third, there is eternal death, which is what Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, referring to those who refuse the life-giving gift of salvation and are cast out into outer darkness forever. The word translated live in verse 2 speaks of meandering or walking around without direction or goal. The Greek phrase translated here, ways of this world, is actually referring to wind. Therefore, the implication is that whichever way the wind was blowing in this world, culturally speaking, was the way that we were going in the B.C. days. And who is behind this wind? It's said here, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Which is, we know who, don't we? It might come across silly. I don't even like saying his name. And in my notes, I never, ever capitalize his name. <laughs> but we know who we're talking about, don't we? He was the one dictating the styles, the trends, and interests that so captivated you and me before we became followers of Christ. When we were still dead in our sin, that's what was taking place. Completely caught up in our own sinful inclinations, we were enslaved in a futile attempt to satisfy our carnal nature. Back in those days, the more we demanded our own way, maybe even now still, the more enslaved we became. Amen? Now look at verse 3 with me. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And so finally we get here, not only were we dead because of sin, drugged by our own sin, depraved in our own sin, deserving of wrath, we were doomed by our sin. Why were we deserving of wrath? Why does Paul say that? Because he will tell us later in chapter 5, verse 6, that the wrath of God comes to those who do not receive the gift of salvation and remain in rebellion and disobedience. That is why. When missionary James Calvert, this is back in the 1800s, went out to the cannibal island of Fiji with the message of the gospel, the captain of the ship that went, that he took to get there, tried his best to talk him out of going. He said, you will risk your life and all those with you if you go among such savages. You want to know what Calvert's reply was? I love it. I love it. He says, oh, no worries. <laughs> I just added that part. Here's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> 
We died before we came here. Wow. Is that powerful or what? Here's the deal, folks. No matter what you are doing, no matter what, you will be influenced by one of two kingdoms. Amen? You know what they are, kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. No matter what, you're going to serve somebody. No matter what. No matter what, death is inescapable. You either are dead in your sins or you can be dead to yourself but alive in Christ like James Calvert was. One leads to the eternal fires of hell and the other leads to life everlasting. Which do you want? <laughs> God, oh, and by the way, how did Calvert do? <laughs> he lived to be 79 years old. He was super effective on those islands, but not only there. I went and did research the guy and found out that he was very, very effective there with the gospel message, was very revered and respected, led many to the Lord, not only there, but in Australia and also in Africa. The guy lived a full life, alive, because he decided to die first to himself. God doesn't want you to be chained to the dark side of life. He really doesn't. And he agrees. He wants to set you free. He wants to give you the power to overcome sin, to bury the past forever in the past. Only God doesn't want you buried with it. This begins with the decision to follow Jesus, and it is not a one-time thing. You know that, right? Not a one-time thing. We are to decide this every single day of our lives, praying something along these lines. Lord, help me to turn my back on my old way of life on this world and follow you yeah. all in. Yeah. Paul is aware of the power of the old way of life that it can have on a person. He knows about it. Look again and notice three key words he uses in verse 3. Cravings desires, and thoughts. These words reveal what we could call the pyramid of power for the old way of life. For some, sin is not just an occasional slip-up. It's a constant, never-ending craving, one that leaves a person completely powerless. Once that craving consumes you, you're, as you know, you're trapped, typically. The craving turns into the temptation to perhaps explode in anger or to drown your misery, with, as many are doing today in alcohol or drugs or commit some kind of sexual sin or maybe max out the credit card, just dealing with the pain and the issues, the guilt and the shame. The fact is the lure of the old way of life comes in lots of forms and facets, but the result is always the same. Is it not? It brings the stench of the past back into the present and makes living your life for Christ extremely difficult. So what can be done? How do you bury the past in the past? How do you conquer this pyramid of power? 
Verse 3 says, our cravings are born out of our desires. And our desires are born out of our thoughts. If you want power over sin, you have to attack the source of its stronghold. Right? Your thoughts. When you change what you think about, follow me now, when you change what you think about what you think about, <laughs> you change your life and your destiny. Here's what I mean. We tend to identify ourselves for some reason more with our sinful past than we do with our sanctified future. Why is that? We may think, I have no control over my temper. I am powerless over the alcohol. I am basically a dishonest person, and on and on that could go. This may have been true in the past, but Paul is telling us God wants to bury the past in the past. What was true about you yesterday does not have to be true about you today. Amen. Why? Because he wants to change you through and through. In order for that to happen, you have to change what you think about what you think about. <laughs> of course, this is only possible with God's saving grace, his mercy, and his help. Amen. Let's look at verses 4 and 5 now. It says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. In these verses, we find what God does for us and it even explains to us why he does this for us. Being a Christian is more than just turning over a new leaf. It's a process of beginning a whole new life. The old way is like a living death. The old way is, is nothing but sins that will take a part, part and parcel. The lifestyle that you really do want, it will destroy that. And all of that put together points in one direction. You know what that one direction is? Self. That's the old life. God wants to move you into a new realm of existence. He wants you to come alive spiritually and stay alive spiritually. He wants to infuse his life into your life, making it more meaningful and purposeful than ever. I find these first nine words of verse 4 some of the greatest in all of Scripture at least how it appears in the NIV. But because of his great love for us. Amen. Yeah. Although we were doomed by our sin, ah, oh, but God broke. He broke through anyway. Aren't you thankful for that? When God broke through, what did he do? Well, first of all, he, he loved us. 
God doesn't only love you when you're going to church. <laughs> but I encourage that you do that. You would expect me to say that. He doesn't only love you when you're reading your Bible or when you're praying or when you're doing your very best trying to be spiritual. He loved you at your worst. He loved you when you were stinky, stinky dead. Think of it like this. God accomplished a decisive rescue mission when he sent Jesus full humanity and undiminished deity to save us sinners from our hopeless predicament. But notice, while we were dead in our sins, unwilling and unable to change our condition even a little bit, God not only made us alive together with Christ. I mean, think about that. Don't let that just fly on right on over. When you were dead in your transgressions and sins, he took the initiative. He came to you. He pursued you and made you alive altogether with Christ. But not only that, look at verse 6 and 7. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. No wonder this is called good, good news. <laughs> His resurrection from the dead and entrance into heaven. Hear me now, because this, this is just like mind-blowing, earth-shattering, life-changing. <laughs> really. And, I, and I, I don't, I'm not perfectly trying to overdo that. I'm not trying to overstate anything. This just, I believe that about this. When, G, when God raised Jesus from the dead, granting him entrance into heaven, that became ours as well. By virtue of God's very own work. No longer are we dead and condemned. Now we are alive and blessed. Now we are. The Lord has called your name just like he called Lazarus's. He said, come out when he called you, when he chose you. And out of the grave we came, amen. amen. In John 11, we see Lazarus raised from the dead. But in John chapter 12, we see him seated with Christ around the table. I love this. The same is true for you and me. And Paul is letting us know that here. <laughs> I love it. We are not only made alive in Christ, but now we can come to his table. We can have fellowship with him, talk to him, learn from him, lean on him. We can share with Christ in his victory right now. Do not have to wait till the sweet by and by. It's right now and soon we will be in heaven sitting at the ultimate banqueting table at the marriage supper of the Lamb 
when what a day that will be, amen? amen? This seating with Christ is a now and later proposition. Do you see that? Yes, this work that God does for us does indeed anticipate a day when Paul says in the ages to come, when the all followers of Christ will be resurrected bodily just as Jesus was, but there is also a present tense to this as well. Ooh. And this view of our present status, church, should help us face this world, our work, our trials, launching us forward with an amazing hope and peace and confidence. It is as if God is saying, now that you have surrendered your life to me, your presence with me for eternity is as good as done. When you were dead in your sin, you were as good as dead. When you are alive in me, you are as good as alive forever. This is all made possible for us because of what we find in verses 8 and 9, what God does in us. Look at these verses now. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. Wow, that's, those are pretty key words right there. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. In verses 4 through 7, we saw God's work for us as he brought us back from the dead and raised us to sit with him in heavenly places. Here in verse 8 and 9, we see his work in us. It's, it might be God's work, some would say, but I've got to tell you, it's, it's my faith. Isn't that what we would like to say? Actually, you know what Paul's telling us? Not so much. <laughs> and, and this kind of flies in our face. In these verses, Paul says specifically, that even the faith it took to be saved is not of ourselves. Why? Because, as we saw it back in verse 5, when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, point being, dead people don't have faith no more than they have feelings. Then what part did I have? In salvation, you might ask. The answer? None. You were chosen. You were made an heir before there even was a you. And the faith you finally exercised to receive Jesus Christ was faith that God himself put in your heart. Which is why I think it is crucial to pay attention to those God nudges in our lives. Amen. This is why Jesus declared in John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. 
The entire realm of salvation is completely and totally due to His grace. And in spite of the fact that our actions bring deserved judgment upon ourselves, God offered us an escape. He's a good God, isn't He? Yes, He is. He offered us an escape. He, he didn't have to, but because He loved us, He wanted to. That is grace. That is what saved us, folks, or delivered us from eternal judgment. God's escape belongs to Him and to His initiative alone. No part of it can be credited to ourselves. As Paul says, so that no one in any way, shape, or form in the slightest way could take credit of salvation, church, the grace as well as the faith is an unmerited gift from God. We've seen what God does for us. Now here in verse 10, we see what God's work does through us. Look at verse 10 with me. It says, for we see God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now you might think when you're full of yourself that you're all that. <laughs> or you might think the opposite, that you're really not much at all. Either way, the bottom line is this. When we were dead in our sins, we didn't give God much to work with. <laughs> we didn't give God much to work with, but thankfully, amen, thankfully, that did not stop him from coming and extending his grace to us anyway, in spite of us. In our neighborhood where Marilyn and I lived, there was a small little park. And in that little park for years, there was a great big, big massive tree that had probably been there a thousand years. <laughs> Maybe not that long, but a long time. And it, wind and weather and age and all that was not being so kind to it. It began to fall and things blowing off, you know. And so finally, because of safety, uh, it got cut down but to a stump and the stump was probably like about to here and it was like that for a while and then one day as I was coming out of there and then probably headed here I happened to notice a guy over there with a chainsaw and he was going to create he was one of those guys that can make stuff with a chainsaw you've seen that right we've all seen that after two or three days he had taken that ugly old stump and created a really cool, cool, beautiful head of a bear. Now, why am I sharing that? You see, God is crafting us so that we could be put on display 
to show the world who he is and what he does. We were all just cut down ugly stumps. But then God came with his chainsaw of grace and went to work. But mind you, not in a chainsaw massacre kind of way, <laughs> but in a chainsaw masterpiece Amen. kind of way. You see, essentially, Jesus tells us the message of the gospel isn't to try harder, it's to trust more. You don't have to carry the weight of what you can do for him on your own, just really stand on the strength of what he has done for you. He has brought us back from the dead. Hallelujah. For a purpose, right? For a purpose. God not, God not only has plans for you, but he has hopes. And they are high hopes for you. So that you can become more like his son. His desire is to change you, like I said, through and through. So what do you say we get on board with that and be all in for his glory. Someone has said, God is too good to be unkind and he is too wise to be mistaken. And so, when we cannot see his hand at work, we must trust his heart and know that it is. Amen. He's a good God, isn't he? And we have so much to be thankful for. May our lives be evidence of our thankfulness. Lord, we thank you for this Ephesian letter. And it is rich, rich, rich with truth. And challenges our faith to just simply... Increase our trust for you. You in this letter are reminding us, you're letting us know you've got this. And because you are the faithful one, you will see to it that it happens and gets done. We can trust you. And all you ask of us is that we just obey you. Obey your word follow you and leave the past buried in the past no longer longing for an old way of life it, it would appear that when Paul writes this it, he acts as if that is ancient history and may that be true for us may our past be ancient history in terms of our moving forward and walking with you putting you on display reflecting you Lord thankful that you have indeed brought us back from the dead. We are alive in you and you have seated us in heavenly places alongside you, Lord. We are thankful. May our lives reflect that very important life-changing truth 
for the rest of our days. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up.